Can you believe it? Final week of the regular season for college basketball, at least in the Big 12 Conference and the Power Conferences. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is how you find us covering the Big 12 from top to bottom. And let's welcome on, as we have each and every time this week, this basketball season, our lead basketball writer, Matthew Postens, is joining us here on the show. Uh, Matthew, let's start off at the top of the conference, Kansas. Is your Big 12 basketball regular season champion? They have won seven straight after a a swoon, I guess you would say, in January, where they what lost three games in a row. This team is yeah. clicking, man. Uh, Bill Self has a strong case to make for Coach of the Year with all the turnover from last year's national title team. How have they done it? Well, I I think he's been flexible just in terms of you know knowing that he didn't have the big guy inside that he's had you know for. You know, most of his tenure there at Kansas, he usually has a 6'10", 6'11", pivot inside who can, you know, really clean up the glass, um, do some dirty work down there, be a consistent scorer. Think of a guy like a Joel Embiid, who only played there a year but made a significant impact. Uh, they've been able to kind of remake that team as one that, you know, plays a lot more four out, five out. Uh, K.J. Adams has turned into a, a very competent uh, big man inside, someone who can score and rebound, but you know obviously doesn't have that ability to you know dominate physically down there. But he does it other ways. You know he he's athletic, he's crafty, he's good at finding you know narrow spaces to to move into. If you're looking for a comp, they're they're interesting. It's it, they're kind of built like Texas Tech last year in that they have a lot of interchangeable parts, a lot of guys that can do the same things. So when everything's clicking, they're really hard to defend and really hard to slow down. When things aren't clicking, like they weren't in you know late January, they become a team that's very vulnerable. So if you're looking forward to the NCAA tournament and how far they can go, it's really going to be about how well that starting five continues to play together. And I really think the X factor now for this team, even though Jalen Wilson's obviously their their lead guy, you know, Dewan Harris Jr. has put together some really good games over the past two three weeks. He, if he has a really, really good NCAA tournament, they could go quite a ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that some people are going to hear what I said, saying Bill Self should be Big 12 Coach of the Year, and they're going to be upset by that. I actually wouldn't give it to Self. I would. I just got to give it to Jerome Tang, Matthew. I mean, nobody thought this team was going to be here. Uh, they could finish in sole possession of second place on Saturday, depending on what happens. Ton of turnover from last year, taking over a program that was in the doldrums out of Bruce Weber. To me, the Big 12 Coach of the Year has got to be Jerome Tang, as impressive as Bill Self's turnaround has been. What about you? Well, I'll, I'll re- reveal my Big 12 superlatives and Big 12 team, you know, once the, the final games are over. But you know, Fine, it's a good a teaser. For- it's a good teaser. I like the teaser. <laughs> if you're making a case for Tang, okay, he had two players in April. Yes. Two players two. in his program yes. last April. He had two. Everybody else was pretty much full up, or they were looking for guys in the portal, or they were signing maybe one or two guys and recruiting. He had two total. Those are the only two guys that decided to stick around. So he had to remake this program pretty much through the transfer portal so it could be competitive. And I'll be honest with you, I thought their ceiling was the NIT. I thought if, if K-State wins 16, 17 games and they get into the NIT and make a run, that's a good first step for a first-year head coach. Instead, they've won 20-plus games. They could finish second in the conference. Uh, Jerome Tang has not just rebuilt this program. He's rebuilt this program's connection to the student body, to the community, to former players. 
it, it's really masterful what he's done. I, I've seen some people on Twitter, you know, uninformed people kind of, you know, going on about his quote-unquote antics, you know, the fact that he goes up and does the water bash with the students when they win a game. Why in the world would you not do that? That's like, one, it's one of the coolest traditions in college sports, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to Stephen F. Austin, and we do Wabash, but we don't do Wabash like Kansas State does Wabash. <laughs> Number two, um, when you've got a full house, you need to find ways to connect to your student body so they keep coming back, and Jerome Tang has been masterful at that this year. Um, he's done a pretty complete job, as far as I'm concerned, in getting this team ready for the NCAA tournament. I mean, they needed somebody like this, right? Not just a good coach on the court, but somebody who was going to embrace the culture Loved the fans. Mm-hmm. The fans wanted to be loved. I mean, they were looking for that. And, man, he brought that and more. Nobody could have predicted this kind of season. As you noted, Matthew, it's not just what he's done on the court with this team, but it's the bridges that have been built off the court that, to me, uh, make him the Big 12 Coach of the Year when you factor everything in. So, uh, you know, compelling case you made, but we'll have to wait to see who you have as the Big 12 Basketball Coach of the Year, which will come out this weekend uh, on heartlandcollegesports.com. Now, I'm looking at this league right now, Matthew, and we're all getting set for the Big 12 tournament next week, uh, NCAA tournament after that. The most dangerous team maybe in the country that nobody's really going to talk about outside of maybe some of the experts that really know this league is TCU. I think the average NCAA tournament fan is going to say, okay, they went 20-10 and 10 or 21-10, and 10 and they you know, won 9 or 10 games in the Big 12. This team beats Texas on, uh, what, Wednesday night. And by the way, in a game that Mike Miles barely did anything, but he's back after three weeks off. It's a different team. How dangerous can TCU be in March? I think they're going to be highly problematic for anybody that plays them. And that Texas game really shows teams that you can't just focus all of your energy on, on Miles. You know, Texas held them to two points. Texas held him to two points because they basically gave him the Grady Dick treatment that uh, uh, Kansas State gave uh, him in January, basically face-guarding him the entire game. They basically said, we're not going to let Mike Miles beat us. Okay, that's fine. Damian Ball beat you. He had mm-hmm. a career-high 24 points. Uh, Eddie Land can beat you with 8-8 eight and eight down low. Uh, Jacoby Coles, I think, had 9. Uh, Micah Peavy had 8 points in that game. They had Emmanuel Miller had 20-10 and 10 in that game. So... What TCU just showed everybody in the country Wednesday night was, okay, you can you can take Mike Miles away from us, but we got about eight or other eight or nine other guys that can beat you. This is the deepest team. To me, this is the deepest team one to ten in the conference, in terms of talent, in terms of ability, in terms of drop off from one to ten. Even Kansas isn't this deep. And if you get into an up and down game with them, where they can get their fast break offense engaged, where they can get to the basket, draw fouls, get easy shots and you know, allow them to kind of implement their defense in the half court and play above average defense or a much better defensive team that I think people give them credit for. They're a team that can get to the second weekend of the tournament and really be a player, uh, maybe as far as the Elite Eight, if they get on a nice run. Like you said, Miles is healthy. That's the big thing. They're a much different team when he's not on the floor and he's not sucking up traffic defensively just by the mere fact that he's on the floor. Mm -hmm. Now you look down this league and where things stand right now, there was potential of the big 12 having nine teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, That is now a distant memory. Texas tech uh, had an opportunity, but could not get it done Mm -hmm. in a couple of close games the last, uh, last week or so. So, what do you think? Yeah. Are we solidly at eight or, you know, Oklahoma State's now lost five in a row, Matthew. So uh, what are we looking at? Could we be at only seven teams in the big dance? Uh, it's 
it's very possible. I wasn't expecting Oklahoma State to have this kind of a downturn toward the end of the season. They they end up the regular season with Texas Tech. That's a game they need to win. It's in Lubbock, so it's not going to be an easy game for them to win. Uh, but at this point, they're kind of desperate. They're the team that I think has the, the most tenuous hold on an NCAA tournament berth. Even West Virginia's in better shape, even though you know West Virginia doesn't is only got six league wins going into the weekend. They're in better shape. Their their net rating seems to keep them afloat. Uh, they seem to have more credibility with bracketology than Oklahoma State does right now. So Oklahoma State needs to win this weekend, and then they they need a draw where they can avoid West Virginia in those first two games. Uh, and I say that because if you're Oklahoma State, you want to try and get another win Wednesday night to get yourself a little bit closer to 20 wins. And then maybe if you, you get into a game with a one seed or a two seed, maybe you can steal a game. I mean, on a neutral court, anybody in this conference is capable of beating anybody. You know, for, you know, throw out the home court advantage, even for Kansas and Kansas State. Just throw it out. Anybody can win that game. So if you're Oklahoma State, you need to win your finale. You need to win your first round game on Wednesday night. You know, assuming that they that, o, that Iowa State doesn't lose Saturday, that would actually bump up Oklahoma State up to the sixth seed, and then hope maybe you can steal one more in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, yeah, that's what Pokes fans have to be hoping for. You know, I've seen some. Once again, this is on Twitter, so you take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, it's not real <laughs> life, as we know, but some criticism of Mike Boynton being like, "Great guy." Awesome recruiter. He's done things here in Stillwater that we should be proud of. But how good is he as an in-game coach? Is that a fair criticism, or are you not buying that right now? I think at this point in his career, that's the criticism that he's going to start getting. I think this is his sixth year there at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, and admittedly, it has not been an easy ride. You know, they've mm-hmm. had. Uh, he's had to he's had to let players go due to disciplinary issues off the court. Uh, he's had to deal with all the NCAA stuff that's been hanging over this program for several years. They had a postseason ban last year. Um, you know, losing Avery Anderson to injury doesn't help either. But you know, he is a great recruiter. He's got another great recruiting class coming in. Um, he does a great job of connecting that program to the community. Um, but he is he is reaching that point in his career where the results in the court have to start matching all of that. So. I, I think it is a somewhat fair criticism. I, I like Mike as a coach, but they've only been to the NCAA tournament one time since he's been there. And that's ultimately at Oklahoma State, that's not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. And, I mean, you look at his resume. If he misses the tournament, you're right. That's one in six years. Maybe a takeout last year with the ineligibility. But um, it's really what? I guess they would have won only one NCAA tournament game that's all he's got on his resume, one NCAA tournament win. And I know Oklahoma State basketball is not what it was under Eddie Sutton, but I still think it's reasonable to say, you know, Oklahoma State should be a team that is at least once every few years playing the second weekend in March Madness. I don't think that's unrealistic or unreasonable. Do you? I don't either. And, you know, it's, you know, we don't, we don't talk about Oklahoma State being a blue blood program in college basketball, but this program has an incredibly rich history going all the way back to the forties when the NCAA tournament was not even as highly regarded as a national invitation tournament. So, uh, that program has a really proud tradition. Um, they should be more competitive in the NCAA tournament. You know, I, I think 
you know, you go into next season, if they're where they are now next season, then I think Mike Boynton's seat starts to get a little bit warm. Mm-hmm. I think that's completely fair and completely reasonable. So as we look at where things are at right now, Matthew, in terms of potentially getting to that eight-team mark, which is probably the ceiling for the Big 12, I mean, you mentioned Oklahoma State and what they probably need to do. West Virginia sitting there at 6-11 and 11, uh, in conference play right now. And when you look at what they've got here the rest of the way, I mean, you know, everyone's got one game left on Saturday for the regular season. They've got Kansas State at home win, and they're solidly in. But what are the Mountaineers, and how concerned do they need to be right now? Uh, I, I think you said it best. I think if they beat Kansas State, in Morgantown, that's going to be a quad one win for them. I, I think that puts them in regardless of what happens in Kansas City. Now, we should also understand that bracketology isn't necessarily what the committee is going to do. It's just, you know, guys like Joe Lenardi and Jerry Palm, they're well-versed in what the committee is looking for, but it is ultimately their best guess. Going into the weekend, I think West Virginia is a 10 seed. They're among the, the last four buys, which means that's like the staging area before you actually go on the bubble. So to me, if West Virginia were to beat Kansas State, even if they didn't win a game in Kansas City, I think they would probably stay in that last four buys area throughout the tournament. But I think for them to just truly solidify it, you know, beat Kansas State, win your first round game in Kansas City, and I think that would do it. And I think even if they lose to Kansas State on Saturday because it's a home game against a highly ranked team, it's still only going to be a quad one loss. I think if they win their first round game in Kansas City, and then maybe steal a quarterfinal game. I think that gets them in too. But I, I, I like their chances of getting in to the tournament without a win in Kansas City much better than Oklahoma State's right now. Mm, okay. Yeah, and I think so as well uh, with the Cowboys fading as quickly as they are. Caleb Grill, Iowa State. Uh, let's talk about that, Matthew. Really just, I think no matter how you look at it, if you read Caleb Grill's Twitter post mm-hmm. yesterday or on um, – Wednesday talking about why he was leaving the program and how it all went down. It was vague. He mentioned mental health issues he had been dealing with. It really is sad. I think you feel for everybody involved, but you also understand that Coach Ox has to run a program and you can't have, you know, certain guys under certain rules and then other guys under different rules. So uh, what are we to make of this first off on the court and then also off the court? Yeah, I mean, on the court, it, it certainly hurts Iowa State's depth. I mean, he was one of their better three-point shooters. There was a point in January where he was, you know, perhaps their best offensive player. Honestly, he had two or three really incredible games for them when they were uh, on that run in, in the middle of January. Uh, quality defender, ran a good point for them. Um, really just, a uh, you know, kind of one of those glue guys who maybe wasn't going to be your lead scorer every night, but he was going to do a lot of things well for you. So that, it's, a, it's a hit for them from a depth standpoint. You know, off the court, you know, these situations are always hard to dissect in the moment because, you know, you admitted, you know, Caleb's statement, while long, was somewhat vague on details. And and these details always seem to come out down the line once players are are comfortable talking about it. But I think we live in in an age where I think we understand that, you know, if a player is struggling with their mental health, and this has now happened in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and other professional and college sports as well, that's really uh, that's really something where they need to step back and 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 you know take a moment and take a breath and, and kind of work on themselves. So I'm I'm accepting of that explanation. You know, but he also admitted you know he did something that didn't line up with what uh, Coach Osselberger expects, and that's what got him uh, you know expelled from the programs. And, and like you said, you know 
I, I would imagine Coach Otzelberger handled, Otzelberger handled that as compassionately as he could, but you're right. When you're running a program, you've got to have the, the same standard for everybody that's there. You can have some wiggle room, you know, if, if there's a, an issue that, that understandably needs to be handled in a different way. But whatever he did, it was enough to, you know, compel Coach Otz to say, you know what, we're, we're going to have to remove you from the program. And it's unfortunate because they could use him in March, but uh, if this is about his mental health, then that's then this is an opportunity for him to step away and take care of that. Yeah, uh, but it does seem like this is it. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I assume his eligibility had run out anyway, but it sounds like he's done just the way he spoke uh, in that statement. And on top of that, you know, I, I think that – from the Ott's perspective, you know, this guy was basically his big brother. That's what Caleb called Coach Ott's. He mm-hmm. said he's like a big brother yeah. to me. So I think that we've seen, it's fair to say, that we've seen the last of Caleb Grill playing college basketball at Iowa State. I, I don't know what his eligibility status exactly was, but this is like this relationship's over, and it sounds like his basketball career may be over as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think we'll see him at Iowa State again. I mean, I think he, he has his degree. He referenced that in his post. Yeah. Uh, you know, he referenced that this is, you got to remember, you know, when Grill transferred from Iowa State, he transferred to UNLV. Yes. And he did that in part because Otzelberger was at UNLV. Otzelberger, I think, recruited him when Prohm was there, and it was the one year that Otz was working as Prohm's assistant. So, I mean, they've got a relationship that goes back a ways. That's why I, I sit here and I say, you know, Otzelberger probably did what he had to do, but he probably handled it in a compassionate way because he goes way back with this guy. Yeah. No, it wasn't just throwing any other kid off the team or whatnot. Um, when you look at where we're heading on Saturday, you know, it's really a battle for the two seed that's most interesting in terms of next week's Big 12 tournament. K-State, Baylor, and Texas are all 11-6, and six, so depending on how games shake out, we'll see who the two seed is. Kansas is the one seed. Um, but as we also noted, the games at the bottom with some of these teams are most intriguing because of what it means for the NCAA tournament. That would be West Virginia hosting K-State, Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. So give me the the game, games this weekend, Matthew, that's just most intriguing to you. It's easy to say KU-Texas, but I don't know. That game doesn't really have a lot of juice anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kansas plays in that game simply because they know they have the regular season title wrapped up. Um, they, they're going to be deeply appreciative of that extra day of rest in Kansas City. Uh, Bill Self has kind of talked about how they've handled like big Monday games where basically the players get Tuesday and Wednesday off to, to get themselves physically ready. So this is an opportunity for him to do a little, you know, NBA style load management with these guys, if that's what the route he wants to go. Um, so I'm interested to see if they're going to keep their, their foot on the pedal because that's important for Texas. It's important for Baylor. It's important for Kansas state because there are uh, all the scenarios are up on our, our Heartland college sports site there are scenarios that it would allow Baylor, K-State, and Texas to all be in some scenarios the number two seed. And that is important because that second seed gets you the 8-9 winner from Wednesday night. So you're catching a team coming off less than 24 hours rest, and that could be beneficial to you in the quarterfinal game. So the, the Texas-Kansas game is most intriguing because in the other two games, you've got West Virginia playing for its NCAA tournament life. In the in the um, Oklahoma State Texas Tech game, same thing. Uh, Baylor Iowa State Iowa State's playing to make sure it doesn't end up in the Wednesday night game. So if Kansas takes its foot off the gas and Texas wins, it could make things very interesting uh, in terms of breaking the ties after the day is over. 
Yeah, uh, that. All right, I'll buy that. That's a very good point. So, uh, and you know, let's look back too. If you remember, and many people listening will, Kansas last year at this point in the season they had lost two games on the road, Baylor and TCU, and then they win their last two games of the regular season. They beat TCU in Texas. They win the Big Twelve tournament, and then of course. You know, they win every game in the NCAA tournament, and they are national champions after a 6-0 run there. So being hot at the right time is something Bill Self appreciates, and I know he's, um, you know, he's not going to take Saturday for granted and totally mail it in. No, but I think it becomes a situation where if maybe you're, you're halfway through the second half and for some reason you're having a really bad night yes. on the road and you're down 15, 18 points, he might just empty his bench and say, let's get ready for Kansas City, and that would – inevitably allow Texas to win that game. And then, you know, I'll be at the Baylor-Iowa State game. Um, I fully expect Baylor to win that game the way Iowa State's playing right now. But, hey, you know, it's the Big 12. You never know. <laughs> if Iowa State wins, they're, they're playing for a sixth seed. They're playing to stay out of that Wednesday night game. So uh, that's a meaningful game for them. Very good point. He's Matthew Postens. He'll be uh, in Waco on Saturday for the men's and women's game, Big 12 tournament next week. Matthew, we'll see you here in Kansas City next week. All right, sounds good. He's Matthew Postens. I'm Pete Mundo. It is always great to have you on board on the Heartland College Sports Podcast. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, leave a rating, review, subscribe. Send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com of your rating and review. And we'll get you hooked up with that free Heartland College Sports koozie. If you're wondering why we do it, it's because every time you leave a five-star rating and a review and subscribe, it helps us in the iTunes algorithm. So, And that boosts the podcast, which helps the show continue to grow, which is now as an outlet reaching millions of Big 12 fans every single month. So thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your day. Take care.